Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I did another documentary, and I had a bit of a problem figuring out which one I wanted to do, or deciding which one I wanted to do, so... Um, I didn't do paranormal or true crime, really. So I did There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Okay. I watched it on HBO Max. Um, and this is going to bum us out big time. <laughs> it's a really, really terrible story. But it's very interesting. So uh, we start with an aerial view of a highway and we hear a call come in to the sheriff's department. And we hear Brad Katinas on the phone, and he said he's trying to help out a friend, and he needs some information. He says there are children on the way home from a camping trip, and they are in a car with their aunt. They just called, and the aunt is driving erratically. They say they think that the woman driving is having a medical emergency. They say that she called, um, and then she couldn't talk anymore, and there are five kids in her car. Next, we hear a frantic 911 call saying there's been an accident on Route 117. The witness says that there are little kids everywhere and they aren't moving. Uh, and the car is smashed. Then on-screen text comes on. It says, on Sunday, July 26, 2009, Diane Schuler drove the wrong way on Taconic Parkway for almost two miles, crashing and killing eight people. Herself, her daughter, her three nieces, and all three people in an oncoming vehicle. So now uh, we see what looks like a press conference, and her husband is speaking about her. He says she was a perfect wife, an outstanding mother, a hard worker, reliable, trustworthy, and he would marry her again tomorrow. She's the best. Hmm. Uh, then it cuts to security footage that was shot in a gas station and we see a minivan pull in and stops right next to one of the gas pumps. A woman gets out of the driver's side. She walks in a straight line to, uh, the gas station, into the gas station. Then the camera feed cuts, um, to the view inside the gas station and we see the same woman walking with determination She's walking fast, like she's looking for something specific. Walks directly to the back wall. She looks around for just a second. Then she approaches the counter, uh, says something, which we can't hear. There's no audio. Uh, and then walks out with buy- without buying anything. Then we see the minivan drive out of the gas station parking lot. Then it cuts uh, to a woman who is watching this camera feed and says that she has watched this footage over and over again, and she says she's fine. Uh, And and that's really frustrating. Uh, Now we see that this is Jay Schuler, which is Diane's sister-in-law, so uh, Diane's husband's sister. She's actually married to Diane's husband's brother. So uh, She's talking about how she lives for mystery shows, watches them all the time, Now she feels like she's in one of them. There's so much more to this story, and you can tell she's upset. You know, she's trying not to cry. Now we see a news story that was aired after the accident. They show a burned-out shell of a minivan. 
and the one that we saw earlier in the security footage and they start talking about the victims then we see a firefighter come on screen and he says that almost everyone was ejected from the vehicle they're mostly kids and they were only able to save one young boy's life then we learn that diane's son survived but is clinging to life in the hospital then Diane's husband, Daniel, comes on, and he is remembering when he got that call. He said he actually didn't know what was happening. He just went to the hospital and then found out that there was a car accident when he got there. Then Daniel's brother and Jay's husband comes on, Jimmy, and he's talking about that day. He said that he saw Daniel get upset when he was on the phone, and he handed him the phone and said, at that point... They thought that Brian had died. <laughs> Sorry about that. They thought that Brian had died and that everyone else had survived. Then Jay comes on and she says that she started telling the family that the little boy had died. And then later found out that that wasn't the case. Everyone else was gone. Hmm. So Daniel didn't remember much about that day, obviously. Uh, just that he needed to take care of Brian. Then we hear the voice of Warren Hance at the funeral. And this man was the brother of Diane and the father of the three little girls that were killed in the crash. It was absolutely fucking heartbreaking. He's talking about how much he loved his sister, loved the family and the girls. And this funeral footage, I mean, obviously funeral footage isn't fun, but this is horrific. We just hear the audio from Warren, and he's keeping it together at first the very best he can, but then he starts talking about how everyone needs to hug your kids, cherish your kids, cherish the time you have with them, and everyone fucking loses it. People are bawling. He starts bawling, and then it's just audio of a church full of crushed hearts. Just absolutely hard to hear. Just Mm. horrible. Okay, so now more text comes on the screen, and it says five days later. So now we see a state police press conference from August 4th, 2009, and a policeman of some sort announces that the autopsy performed on Diane Schuler um, is complete, and she had a blood alcohol content of 0.19%. The legal limit is 008 And it also showed that she had a high level of THC in her system. Uh, A reporter then asks the question, in drinks, how many or how much had she consumed? Then Betsy Spratt is the director of toxicology in Westchester County. She answers her and states that like your weight the person's weight is a big factor in calculating how much alcohol was consumed. And she says that that was about 10 drinks in her system at the time. Dang, that's a lot. Yeah, it. this is fucking weird. It's weird, okay? Now we see another press conference and we meet the Schuler attorney. His name is Dominic Barbara. And he states that he wants to speak about the events that occurred and says he didn't see any benefit to doing this, but the defendant's husband wants to talk about his wife. That's what he says. And so, he, so 
he says that she wasn't an alcoholic. She barely had a drink. She got in the van with the kids and the drive that was supposed to take about 35 minutes took close to four hours. What? All the family members take turns saying that Diane was all about family, never drank. Something medical must have happened to her. And there was no way she would ever jeopardize the children's safety. Then we are at a house and seems to be Jay's. And she's looking at the negative comments that these random people have left on social media. And she's talking to her son about Brian and how she doesn't want him to see these things written about his mother. And she says that they went from grieving the loss of, you know, family to realizing people from all over actually hate them. Like they, you know, once that toxicology report came out, Mm -hmm. people just, you know, went nuts. Uh, any sympathy turned to hate and she says people don't know what happened they she's she's like they just don't know us they are adamant that she wouldn't drink and drive the kids around um six months after the accident uh, this is also text six months after the accident filmmakers approached the Schulers about making an investigative documentary on the taconic tragedy They're going to get all information they can to get to the bottom of this. And someone off camera asked Jay, what if we find something you aren't happy with? And Jay says, I've thought about that, but it's going to work out. She said it doesn't even, she doesn't even want to think about, you know, things not going her way, basically. Then the attorney's back and he says the family came to him because they wanted to go public. And he had taken more grief over this case than any of the terrible cases that he's done. People are asking, how can you defend that drunk? And he thinks that she isn't that. So Daniel comes on and says he wants the truth. He knows his wife in personal and public life. And he thinks maybe she had a stroke. And they want to know the truth, good or bad. They also bring up the little boy a lot. They don't want him to grow up thinking that his mother is a terrible person. Now we start to learn. How old is the little boy? um, At the time of the accident, he was six years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we start to learn a little bit more about Diane. She was born in 1973. She was the fourth child of Warren Hance Sr. and Eileen uh, McCogue, maybe. And she was the only girl. When Diane was nine years old, her mother left the family. Diane didn't talk much about this at all. All Daniel knew, which is her husband, was that she left when she was young. Like, she didn't talk about it. Now we're back at the press conference, and a reporter asks Daniel what happened on the day before they left. Daniel starts going through every detail. He said he woke up about six, went down to the boat to clean it out. About 6.45 or 7, he woke Diane up and asked her to start cleaning the camper before um, they wanted to leave before traffic. She started cleaning and slowly waking up the kids, packing up everything. They had a couple cups of coffee, uh, packed up the kids, and left. Daniel said that it was a great weekend. Nothing abnormal happened. Then they show a bunch of pictures from that weekend, which is really sad because everyone's having a great time. 
Then we meet Ann Scott. She's the owner of Hunter Lake Campground, and she's riding around her campgrounds in a golf cart, bothering random people trying to fish and enjoy their camping weekends. <laughs> uh, she says a lot of people come there and just forget life. With the fast-paced life people live these days, camping is one of the things that people do to get away. Then text comes back, and it states the day of the accident, which was Sunday, July 26, 2009. Daniel's back on, and he says, again, that morning they just got up. He said they made breakfast and coffee, cleaned everything up, packed everything up. He said goodbye to the kids. She hopped in her car, he hopped in his, and they drove away. Diane's brother, Warren Hance, receives a call at 9 a.m., Then an investigator from the New York police comes on and states that the call was from Emma, which was the Hans' oldest daughter, that said that everything was good, they had a great time, and they were looking forward to coming home. Anne comes back on and says that Danny was in front in the truck with the dog, and Diane was right behind him, and she said the kids were just yelling. They were all strapped in and just yelling about what a great time they had. She asked him about it and said they all wanted to come back. She said she told Diane to have a safe trip home, and she seemed fine. So around 9.30, they left the campgrounds. Then Daniel comes back and says that he was right behind her when they left, which I thought was weird because Anne said that he was in front. Hmm. He also states in this clip that Diane had to stop and get the kids breakfast, which he said earlier that they made breakfast. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of weird. But again, like his whole world crashed around him that day. So him getting a few of those tiny little things or maybe they ate breakfast and, you know, the kids didn't or something. Mm, You know, who knows? But his statements are all over the place, honestly, but I can't really blame him. Um, The investigators come back and state that it was pre-planned that Diane would drive all the kids back and Dan would drive the truck. They actually borrowed that minivan for that purpose. Um, the, The minivan belonged to her brother, Warren, and his wife, Jackie. So Diane took the kids to get breakfast at McDonald's that was nearby, and Dan went ahead home. And they talked to a worker that helped Diane, and he stated that she did not seem intoxicated, and he didn't smell any alcohol or anything on her. They got the security footage of Diane and the kids inside McDonald's. The kids seemed to be having a great time in the play area. No obvious signs that Diane was intoxicated. Then the footage from the gas station comes back on, and they say that she walks in and asks the clerk for any kind of pain meds, which they didn't have, so she just left. Again, no obvious signs that she was messed up at all. And um, you can't, they didn't show the McDonald's security footage, but they did show the gas station, and she, like, she pulls in, pulls right, you know, up right next to the gas pump. It's not like she hit the gas pump. You know, she gets out, walks in a straight line directly into the door. She walks right up to the back, you know. She's looking for Tylenol or something. So she's, like, looking around a little bit. And then she obviously asks the clerk. And then she walks out. It's, like, totally normal. Totally normal. It's weird. Now we see Brian, who is the sole survivor of the accident. And he is six at this time. Brian sustained a serious head injury in the crash. As a result, he is suffering from 
ocular, no, ocular, no, (laughs) (laughs) oculum, oculomotor nerve palsy, which affects the movement of his right eye. He has undergone surgery for the injury and does daily eye exercises. Since the accident, Jay has been taking care of Brian three to four days a week and during the weekend. Now Jay's back on telling or talking about all the kids and how great everything was before the tragedy. She starts talking about grief, the grief of Diane's brother and his wife because they lost all of their girls at once. Um, And she's saying that both families were so close and she wouldn't think that they would allow Diane and Dan to take care of all their kids, you know, if they thought for one second that she was like an alcoholic or, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have agreed for her to, yeah, take our minivan and drive our kids around. Yeah. You know, she said she doesn't want to speak for them. She said, but the women were like best friends. Almost all the, also all the families that were involved were asked to participate, but Warren and Jackie Hance declined to be interviewed. Um, So we honestly don't know how they've how they feel or what they think. So now there is, uh, we're with a woman looking at Facebook and she's reading a comment that someone wrote and she says, that's the day he died. Then there's more text on screen. Guy Bestardi, 49, Michael Bestardi, 81, and Daniel Longo, 74, were killed in the car that was struck head on by Diane's vehicle. Now we see that woman again and find out that she is the sister of Guy and her name is Roseanne Guzzo and she is recalling that morning talking to her brother on the phone and he was so excited about family dinner that night. They were going to have spaghetti (laughs) and she says that at that point you don't get any closure. So it's very quick, very sad. Now Dan is back with Brian, and he says he is his main priority. Obviously, he's having a rough time adjusting to this. Um, And remember when they're doing this, uh, when they started this documentary, the accident was six months ago. So they, like, really, really... That was quick. Yeah. Uh, So Brian is doing okay, and they are trying to get back to normal. Jay's back on, and she says that she was trying to talk to brian and he said mommy's head hurt and she couldn't see and he was adamant about this and she said then the crash and he said yeah and then i flew out of the car like superman and she said his story hasn't changed at all so mommy's head hurt and she couldn't see is Mm. what he said now back to the day it's 11 37 a.m Diane calls Jackie Hance, the mother of her nieces, and tells her that they're running a little bit late. She said everything was fine. They had a normal conversation. The girls were in a play, and Diane was talking to Jackie about how many tickets she wanted her to get. And then they hung up. No problem. Now at 12 p.m., so about 20 minutes later... We see Interstate 87, and we hear someone stating that he was heading south on 87. This is Gerard Salerno, and he is uh, one of the witnesses. 
He was in the middle lane and the vehicle came up rather quickly and was in the right lane, moved over to uh, back to the middle lane, then back to the right and continued to make these erratic lane changes aggressively. And he said he looked and he saw a woman driving and it seemed as if she was focused and concentrating on driving. He said the last move she made was she moved again into the center lane. She cut off a car, but that car was able to move out of the way. But each time she moved, it seemed very precise. He said he could also see the children's heads swaying with the movements of the car. Now it's 1213 and they are at the Harriman Toll Plaza and we meet another witness, Francis Bagley and his wife, and he said he was pulling into the rest area and he thought they went past her, but she pulled out and got right behind him and she, she was so close he couldn't see her headlights. Then the horn started beeping, like she was beeping the horn at this dude, going super fast, like up his ass. And they thought she was going to hit them. Then she got on the shoulder and pulled, pulled back, right, like she pulled over and then pulled right back behind him, honking at her horn. And they went into the rest area. His wife said they went ahead and Diane veered off into the truck area. She said she saw Diane get out of the car. She thought maybe she was going to get sick. She was kind of bent over a little and said that they went into the rest area. And when they came back out, Diane was gone. And that was about 1230. Oh, then they were they were asked if you could do that again, what would you do differently? And he said he would have confronted her. And then he would have been able to see that there were a bunch of kids in her car. And he said he would have been able to stop her. And or at least at least see what was wrong. So that's very sad. Now we are with a few of Diane's friends from childhood. And they were just talking about how fun she was when they were teenagers. They were you know crazy teenagers, uh, but Diane was very responsible at an early age. Said that she would take on the motherly role, and she was really good at it. She was always struggling with her weight. Uh, never really dated when she was younger. Danny was her first love and only love. Now we're back at the press conference again with Danny answering questions. And someone asks him about the bottle of absolute vodka that was found in the van. And if he knows where it came from or whose it was. And he says no. He doesn't know how it got there. He doesn't know whose it was. Now we see a clip from Larry King interview where he's talking to Dan and basically asks the same thing. Please explain the bottle of vodka that was found. And Dan says he they usually kept a bottle of vodka in the camper for the whole season. Like one bottle would last them the entire season. So obviously he's making it sound like they didn't drink much. Uh, why it was in the car, he says... My wife packed up everything from the camper and left it for him to load up. He said he had no idea it was in there or why it would be. And Larry asks, is it possible she was an alcoholic? He says, absolutely not. I've been with her for 13 years. Larry says, okay, why come on here? Why are you still speaking out? And Dan and Jay say they are 
very concerned about other families thinking that a drunk driver killed their loved ones and they they want the truth to come out then we come back to the sisters of the other guys you know of the other car that was hit and they say we have forgiven diane and we pray for everyone that was involved in the crash and she said the family that's still alive however we're working on them i was like holy shit what now what she said that she they have forgiven diane Mm -hmm. for what happened the family members that are still alive of diane's meaning her husband her Mm -hmm. sister-in-law she's like they're we're working on them why because they refuse to believe they refuse to was at fault yes they refuse okay okay so stories kept changing they're lying they say that i'm sorry she made a mistake now they're like okay okay what are you hiding what are you hiding like why are they why aren't they acknowledging these things like are they trying to hide something what happened between you and your wife that pushed her to drink you know like possibly what what's with the denial basically like what's what are they trying to hide the right thing to do would be to admit it and don't let this happen to another family is what they're saying yeah something had something had to have happened something's going on yeah so now back with dan and he is looking at um diane's old appointment books and for some reason he's pointing out doctor's appointments apparently she had a lot of doctor's appointments now there's more text and it says we enlisted the assistance of dr harold some crazy foreign last name that i cannot pronounce i think he was french or something um but anyway who reviewed the police reports and our interview footage in order to come up with a forensic psychiatric autopsy of the case so he comes on and states that people seek to preserve memories of the dead as a silver lining to the loss. So now Diane's family is left with either accepting the fact that she was bad because of the bad thing that she did or trying to prove that she didn't do this bad thing. But they have no evidence of anything else. Well, no, it sounds like they have evidence that she was drinking. Yes, yes, yeah. So, he also says that when people are demonized, their loved ones will go in the complete opposite direction and try and make them seem as if they are saints, which neither is true. Obviously, neither is true for anybody. Mm-hmm. So, Dan's parents come on, and they really, really liked Diane, said that she was very motherly, and they were, they were in love with each other. Um, nothing but good things to say. Hard worker, great mom, wonderful wife. Everyone that she worked with loved her. She had a lot of work friends. Then more text. Says at the time of death, Diane Schuler was the director of credit billing and collections at Cablevision, earning a salary of about $100,000 annually. Uh, so we meet Sue, a co-worker. She said she was very good at her job. Um, and then they, they start talking about like Diane's demeanor. She said that everything was ironed. Like all the kids clothes were ironed. Everything had to be just so. And everything, everyone was like, how do you do all this? Like she took on everything. Um, Dan's mom even said that 
Diane treated Dan as if he were one of her kids. Like she was just like that. She took on that role. Then she would wait for Danny and she would, so they worked kind of opposite work schedules and she would not only do like everything for the family, but she would stay up and wait for him to get home and like eat with him. And then go to bed for like a few hours and get up in the morning, go to work and like do it all over again. Like she was, it was crazy. Like, hmm. so she was the first parent to drop off the kids, always on time. Kids always looked impeccable. She chaperoned for things. She donated for school parties and worked full time. Like she was driven to be super mom. Now we see a clip from an Oprah show where she is asking a PI about the THC and Diane's report. And he's like, I don't know why. I don't know why that's he's like, but back to talking about the autopsy and now and how it can't, it can't be right. And they must have messed up somehow. That's what they're saying. Like they, they're just not accepting. So they hire private investigators, the Schulers. They paid so much money to look into the case and they say that nothing was done. And this, um, this private investigator was Tom Ruskin, and he led them on stating that they were right, had them give him a bunch of money, and then nothing was done. His firm did conduct an investigation, which included interviewing Diane's friends and family, canvassing the campground and the route for uh, leads, and obtaining video footage from the Sunoco gas station. According to Ruskin, all monies were spent on these activities and on lab tests. But he never gave them any information. He never reached out and, like, told them anything, apparently. Sounds like he didn't find anything Mm -hmm. except what has already been stated. So now we're back with the attorney, Dominic, and they ask him about what the PI did. And he said he was hired to go over the case and had used him on a couple of other cases, and he did very well. He says, I don't know what happened here. He said he picked up the newspaper every day, and there was another story from the PI, and it looked as if he was going against the people who hired him. (laughs) Meaning he just wasn't finding what they wanted him to find. Exactly. He was finding what what happened. Yeah. What they don't want to believe. Yeah. Or admit to. Right. Dominic didn't understand where he was going with it. He's like, I don't understand what he's doing. And he asked if they had interviewed him yet. And they say that they were working on it. Then we hear a phone call from Tom to the filmmaker. And he's basically saying that he won't do any interviews for less than $25,000. So basically, they asked him to be interviewed for this. And he Mm -hmm. was like, "Uh, no. So now we see Jay, and she's looking through the documents that the filmmakers were able to provide for them, and says that she's been waiting a year to see these same items from the from the personal or from the private investigator, and they were able to get them so easily. They are going through her medical history and start talking about a tooth that had been really bothering her lately, and how like she wouldn't go take care of it. It, it, it had been bothering her for years at this point. She had some sort of abscess. Now they have more information, but still no answers. So back to the day of the accident. 
and there was a wrong number that was dialed from Diane's phone at 12.55. Around 1 p.m., Diane calls Jackie Hans and sounds disheveled or disoriented, and the two-and-a-half-minute call ends abruptly. Warren Hans calls Diane back. He stated that she didn't sound like herself and at one point called her Danny, which is her, or called him Danny, which is her husband's name. And so he knew something was wrong and he could hear the kids like crying and told her to stay put. He would be right there. That was at 102 or at 102 p.m. We see the Tappan Zee Bridge. At this point, the kids are all trying to call their parents, saying there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. She can't see. Hmm. Uh, And they were pulled over at that point. And Emma was on the phone with her father. And he said, read me a sign. Where are you? And she said, Terrytown. So he races there and tries to find them. At 1.10 p.m., someone dials three wrong numbers from Diane's phone. Warren tries to reach Diane's phone, and the call goes straight to voicemail. She had left her phone at the Tappan Zee Bridge, just sitting on the guardrail in the pull-off to the right. Uh, her entire route up until the, Z- the Tappan Zee Bridge is exactly what she would have done normally. Then it becomes unclear why she got off on the highway that she did and where she where she was going, where she went. So now we meet Diane's best friend, Christine uh, Lippany, and they were very different people. Diane liked to be in charge of everything. She says she wasn't perfect, but if she liked you, she liked you. She was okay as long as she was in control. And they asked her about the pain, and she said, yeah, she was having problems with her teeth. Uh, but she seemed very normal that week that she saw him the week before and wasn't able to pretend if something was wrong. So she was pretty transparent. Like she wouldn't have been able to pretend that she was okay. If, you know, uh, she seemed happy with no marriage problems, but she didn't discuss her marriage at all, which tells me she didn't want anyone to know about it, which means it wasn't very good. Right. Mm-hmm. So back to the old friends, and they were talking about how after she met Danny, she became kind of distant and seemed like she was in her own world. She lost connection with her friends. She said there wasn't any fights or anything, but they just didn't talk for the last 10 years or so. So back to Daniel, and he's packing up Diane's clothes so they can try and get uh, DNA off of them to redo a toxicology report. And again, Jay is looking at dental records, talks about how she was always so private. She would always just say, I'm fine, you know, not, not really elaborating on anything. Filmmakers tried to reach out to her mom, but her mom didn't answer. Then we're back to Christine, and she's like, yeah, I know why why Diane's parents got divorced. But wouldn't tell anybody. It was like decades ago, and she's like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> so fucking stupid. I was like, what the fuck? Like, their daughter is dead. What? Why? Yeah, what are you protecting? Yeah, what are you hiding? So fucking stupid. Yeah, I'll do an interview, but I'm not going to answer your questions. Stupid. I didn't like her. (laughs) 
then back to the old friends and they say that um, they didn't know why but everyone was very upset when the divorce happened they think that her mom left with a family friend or a neighbor possibly like cheating Mm -hmm. Uh, but diane never wanted to talk about it or deal with it she wanted to act like it never happened everyone was so secretive about it um the mother apparently tried to talk to the family but it seemed that diane in particular had a huge grudge against her mom actually her brothers had a relationship with her mom but diane refused and that's very odd for a little girl to act towards her mother. Like that's, I, I kind of wonder if her dad talked to her and like made her think that, cause like a, a little girl wants to spend time with her mom. Like that's very, you know, and for her brothers Unless to she's have. she's a daddy's girl and well, yeah. her mom cheated. Yeah. But for the brothers to have a relationship with the mom and then the only girl not, it's just kind of strange. Messed up, totally. Now we hear a phone call, uh, the phone call from the very beginning. And poor Jackie is freaking out, trying to call anyone, trying to get to Diane and stating that it was unusual for, for Diane to be acting like this. Police are trying to find this van and they can't, they can't tell how she got to the exit that she ended up at. And they're trying to track her phone. Dan and his brother start that way, trying to find her. Then Betsy is back talking about how much alcohol had to be in her system. It would have been almost a Coke can full of alcohol. How much she had in her system. She was like 20% alcohol. That's a lot. That is a lot i'm almost wondering they keep bringing up the tooth issue saying that she had an abscess to mm-hmm. abscess tooth or whatever mm-hmm. for years yeah what if it got infected and it went into her brain that's well that's actually one of the and i'll um i don't know his name it'll come up later but he's some sort of medical examiner he's very popular he worked on the jump and a uh, mm. Ramsey case and they uh, they actually ask him about that oh, so okay. jumping the gun again <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's all right <laughs> um but that much alcohol is associated with memory blackouts like you can't drink that much alcohol you can't it's well I'm crazy. wondering if she was in so much pain she was trying to you know, she was looking for the Tylenol. She was trying to do something to ease the pain. Yeah, that's... So maybe she obviously overdid it. That's definitely... That's what they think. That's oh. that's what her family thinks anyway. Oh, crap. So when you have that much alcohol in your system, it goes into the territory of alcohol toxicity. This is a level where people start to show up at the ER unconscious or even in a coma. Hmm. Plus, she had THC in her blood as well, and a high a high level of that. Dan comes on and says she doesn't smoke weed. Uh, she does on occasion, but definitely wouldn't that weekend. So first he says she doesn't do it at all, but then she uses it to sleep. Hmm. Uh, pretty sure at this point Jay smokes weed. 
uh, <laughs> she, she's talking about um, how she uses it to overcome the trauma associated with her mom, too. So, yeah, they smoke weed. But there's nothing, yeah. like, this wouldn't happen because she smoked a little weed. Like, no way. And I can't imagine her drinking and smoking with a bunch of kids in her car. It's it's well, crazy. You said that it usually took what? What did you say? Forty five minutes or something? It, uh, the car ride? Yeah. It thirty five minutes would have been the normal. And it took four like four, four hours. Four hours, yeah. So it almost sounds like she kept stopping. Yeah. And probably drank. Oh. And smoked some weed. Maybe. And then would drive a little bit more. The pain would come back. She'd stop. That's a great. Drink some more. Smoke some weed. Trying to get rid of that pain. That's so stupid. No. Oh, my God. If that's what she did, then, yeah. You, oh, you. Mm. Oh, my God. That's why we have cell phones now. Like, call someone go to the fucking dentist seriously after how many years of having a tooth problem well she apparently went back like back to the dentist over and over and over again but for some reason whatever was going on she wasn't getting it fixed but she did go to the dentist because like i said he had that appointment book and he was pointing out all these doctor's appointments that she went to and they got her dental records her medical records and they saw every time that she went but, like, in the last few years, it seemed as if she was trying to deal with this tooth pain on her own. Mm. Stupid. Yeah. Especially when it's that, clo- it's that close to your brain. Oh, yeah. And you know how much teeth pain hurts? Yeah, that fucks you up. That yeah. hurts, yeah. And to deal with that for that long? Yeah. Yeah, I guarantee that's what happened. Yeah, I didn't think about her stopping over and over like i just didn't think about that well you know you said that and i'm like what would cause yeah a little over a half hour drive to turn into four hours well i figured doing yeah that's well that's a that's a great point because i thought about that too but i figured she had like she was really fucked up and she got lost or something like that's where my mind went i didn't after she started drinking she probably she probably did get lost yeah Oh my god! I didn't. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. Okay, so back to the police. Witnesses said that they are getting onto the highway and saw her driving the wrong way toward them. It was as if they weren't even there. They had to drive up onto the grass, and she moved like she was determined. Like I have somewhere to be focused. Seemed like she knew exactly what she was doing, and she drove almost two miles in the wrong direction. Then we hear more nine one one calls about Diane. So many people, she was say she was driving completely straight, straight line. Like she was determined, and people even saw her like gripping the wheel, like focused, like driving the wrong way. What the fuck? Uh, so she was going super fast, pin straight said that she didn't have any reactions, no swerving, no braking, no wavering, nothing. It was like those people weren't even there. Witnesses thought that it was someone determined to kill themselves. Like, that's what they thought when they saw her. 
Now we see Jay and Daniel sit down to meet, oh, this is uh, Dr. Werner Spitz. This is one of America's most respected medical examiners to answer questions about the autopsy and discuss options for retesting. So he reviewed everything. He said the autopsy was done properly and well. And Jay starts arguing with him about that she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't drink with the kids in the car. She wouldn't drink. She wouldn't do that. She says that as soon as they found out that an alcohol bottle was was in the car, they gave up. Like, dude. Yeah, she was drunk. She was drunk. Yeah. I totally believe that. Then Dan asks about the tooth abscess. And he said, could that have caused a stroke? And he says, in theory, yes. But he didn't see that on the autopsy. Apparently, when someone has a stroke it looks a certain way Mm -hmm. that he knows what it looks like he says that it's it look it it looks a certain way and it can't cause alcohol to be in your system so like if you have a stroke it doesn't like dump alcohol (laughs) into (laughs) that doesn't happen uh they so they continue to ask him if anything else could have caused it and he says yes but the alcohol content in her blood will always prevail she was drunk now they're saying that she was in some sort of disorientation that maybe she thought it was water and drank it oh my god i know she was in pain from her tooth and she kept drinking to try to get rid of the pain which is so dumb Uh, so they they are insistent that something made her drink and the doctor says that she may have had so much pain that she needed to get rid of and maybe that's why she drank they continue to argue with him and he says maybe you should get a second opinion This is the most well-known. I'm done with this conversation. Exactly. They won't take his word for it. So they say, okay. And they're like, well, I guess the next step is exhuming the body. Crazy. And he says, I hope whatever you find uh, finds you peace. And they leave. It won't. Nope. Though Jay says she's surprised he didn't find anything. So they called to arrange to have everything retested, and they said that they already have been sent to another lab by the PI months earlier. What? So Tom got the results, and he still has them, and they would have to go to this this private investigator to get the results now. So they're like, why didn't they give us any, like, why didn't he give us the results? So Dan is back on and he's talking about how hard it is for him to work and take care of a kid on his own. And it's getting real old. Um. (laughs) Where? I know. (laughs) They ask him, what? (laughs) And he says, he's, every woman does it on her own but that's too much for him that's what i put in there yeah um, that's exactly <laughs> what i was thinking then he, he's then he they're like they're like what and he's like oh like schoolwork and laundry and taking care of the house and working a full-time job oh my gosh like the same thing women every do woman in the, the world that well, you're 
your Not wife every woman but that your wife did and so much fucking more for you mm-hmm. for a year how many years uh then jay comes back on and she's like um you have all day off you see brian for five minutes then take him to school i work 14 hours then go take care of brian nights and weekends she's like i don't understand what is he tired of <laughs> She's, she's driving her insane. Everyone seems real fucking tired of Dan. Dan dismisses Brian a lot. Seems like a fucking dick. Uh, Jay keeps talking about how Dan won't let Brian talk about things or reminisce about his mom and his sister. He just says that he needs to accept it, that this is the how things are now. I bet you anything, Dan. Dan is somehow partly responsible Absolutely. I totally, somehow. Yes. He put too much on her shoulders Mm -hmm. and she couldn't take it. Not that she did it on purpose, but I mean, how much fucking more can one person do without any help from her partner? Yeah, something else is going on too. Yeah. Uh, So Jay said that she actually told the pediatrician and they spoke to him. So he's finally taking Brian to therapy. And she also said that he told her um, that he never wanted kids. Now look where I'm stuck. What? Yeah. What a piece of shit. (sighs) He's like, she was supposed to do all this. Yeah. Fuck off. I know. He needs therapy, too. He just seems angry. He really just is. I mean, it's kind of sad because he lost, you know, his wife and his daughter. And he's angry. But he's he's projecting it way wrong he's being a dick yeah so there will never be any concrete evidence of what happened did she you know was she in so much pain that she just started drinking but she was beyond intoxication what she did i mean that was beyond did she have a fever if she had a fever and started drinking and smoking she could have went into delirium and delirium is actually a temporary state of mental confusion resulting from high fever intoxication shock or other causes characterized by anxiety disorientation memory impairment hallucinations trembling and incoherent speech so a brain event triggered Maybe, you know, could have caused her mind not to be right. Mm-hmm. So then Tom actually calls Jay back, which is the private investigator. And he says, uh, yeah, I sent the results to your attorney months ago. Mm. And he's like, I tried to get in touch with you. He's like, I tried to get in touch with everyone and no one answered. And Jay was like, oh, yeah, our attorney told us not to answer because you weren't doing anything. He's like, yeah, I was trying to get the results to you. And he then tells her that everything was done properly and nothing has changed. The results are the same. Now, Jay says, I'm very confused. And she doesn't know what to believe now. (laughs) He says, you need to listen. He's like, he's like, you need to listen to me. He's like, believe me or not, I can't do anything about that. He's like, also, the DNA matched. So it was her toxicology report. Uh, and she's like, well, I don't know what to do now. And he's like, uh, I'm just returning your call. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like everyone is tired of both of these people. Yes. Listen to them. It's ridiculous. Like, I understand that that's a terrible, fucking terrible oh, thing. Yeah, and definitely. she messed 
up. But that doesn't make her a bad person. That means she fucked up. She's human. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like the husband and... what? Who is she? The sister-in-law? The sister-in-law. They just can't stand the fact that everyone is pissed off. Yeah. At their family. But So they're trying to do everything they can to prove that this isn't their fault. Which it's not their fault, but... Yeah, it's their loved one's they're, fault. They're still a part of it. Yeah. They don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. So they're trying to find everything they can to try to disprove yeah. what really happened. Yes. And that's not going to happen because... Right. Because it, it, what happened happened. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have reached the time of the crash. Uh, it's 1.35 p.m. on Taconic Parkway, northbound, mile marker 4.1, and we hear more frantic 911 calls about a horrible crash. There are numerous fatalities, possible car fire. So she hit the Bastardi car and another car before she ends up down a hill where the car catches fire. People knew that there were kids in the car. They were trying to find them. Um, they were trying to find out who was in the car. They finally get the driver door open, and Diane, like, rolls out onto their feet. And they show pictures of her at this point, and she looks oddly fine. This really made me realize that I don't understand how car crashes, ha- like, work. Because she was in the driver's side. She has no visible injuries. She looks perfectly normal and she's dead hmm it's very strange well did she die did she die and then the car crashed i don't know i don't know like she had so much alcohol that it killed or she could have passed out she could have passed out passed out like a coma or whatever and she they crashed and she was already dead before possibly i don't i don't know happened I don't know. Or she died and that's why they crashed? I yeah, I don't know. But they said they had they had to actually like step over her to find the kids. Also the kids were all piled up on top of each other and they were all dead too. Um except for Brian, of course. Brian was at the very bottom. Um so many people were trying to to help. Traffic was completely stopped like they show pictures of of the like, you know, interstate. The scene was absolute chaos. People were screaming and crying. There were a bunch of kids dead everywhere. All the guys in the other car, all were dead. There was nothing anybody could do. It was just awful. I um, couldn't imagine no, or something like that. Hell no. And like they showed witnesses of people, you know, the normal people just driving down the road, trying, you know, seeing this and trying to help them and coming across so many dead kids and you could um, they were just bawling it was just awful poor jackie poor warren they are like the two biggest you know victims i think in this family they they lost all of their girls all at once the other guys were old not that they deserved to die or anything but you know they were super old they you know they lived their life just the babies are just it's just awful Mm -hmm. Diane wasn't a bad person. Something very terrible must have happened. Um, Don't think it was done on purpose. It's just a tragic, tragic accident. Daniel still wants to exhume her body and continue testing, though. Um, But he hasn't gotten permission for that yet. And Brian continues to go to therapy, which is good. That poor kid. I know. So that was that. (laughs) 
Well, his father is a piece of shit. Unfortunately, yes. But Jay really does seem to love him. And, like, they do really well with him. They showed him... I mean, obviously, they're on camera, so they're going to be, you know... Yeah. But, you know, they were doing his... He does his little eye exercises. And I actually did the math, and I think he's 18 now. Oh, is he? Yeah, so hopefully he's doing well. Yeah, hopefully. But just fucking crazy. Like, crazy. Yeah, that's a really great point that you brought up about how long the trip took. And, like, if she would have stopped, you know, multiple times, that does make more sense. Because I was actually wondering why it would have taken that long, too. She had to have been stopped somewhere and was just chugging. Yeah. Had to have been. And I don't think it was because she is an alcoholic. No. I think it's because she was in pain from her, I, her tooth yeah, problem. Yeah, I think you're right. Because she did. She went to that gas station looking for Tylenol. Mm-hmm. And who, what gas station doesn't sell Tylenol? I know. I thought they all did. They I all did. have like a little section yeah. that's got like antacids yeah. and Tylenol and Advil. Just little and, emergency things. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. That's what I thought too. It's crazy. But I wa that's the the third time I've watched that documentary and it is it, it's really it's it's really nuts and like it really seemed like she was perfectly fine and then like s- immediately something went fucking wrong. Yeah. So like who knows she but with you know it's toxicology reports the DNA matched it was her she was drunk. Mhm. It's fucking crazy. Because even if you were an alcoholic, you're not going to all of a sudden drink so much at once. Right. You know. Right. It's, yeah, there was, she, something was going on. She yeah. was in pain. And she well, was an- to- another thing that I thought of, too, like, I, you know, I have a very unique relationship with pain. I have. It's, it's been there for me my entire life. And I, like, so I'm kind of used to just dealing with it. If you had a 35-minute drive, wouldn't you think you would just want to make it home and then drink? Yeah, that's not a very or, long drive. No. Like, something. That's why, like, maybe you're right. Maybe because it was, like, so close. Maybe, like, an infection had reached her her brain or something like and maybe it caused her to not think clearly or something maybe i don't know maybe that alcohol was in the car and she wasn't thinking totally right and she's like oh well maybe this will help yeah she couldn't find any tylenol anywhere super strange though i don't know it's just weird it is weird it is weird the whole thing. And I don't think she would be thinking right anyway to drink with kids in the car. No. She, there's something happened yeah. in her head that yeah. wasn't right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think something had affected her brain in some way, shape, or form mm-hmm. that wasn't obviously apparent on the, on the autopsy. Yeah. Because, I mean... And again, they did show pictures of her after death, and it's not like she was burnt up in the fire or, you know, they they performed an autopsy, you know, on a intact body. Yeah. So, maybe, I don't know, would they be able to see, like, an infection in her mouth? 
That would, you know, would they see like brain inflammation or something? You would think so. You would think so. But maybe when they did the autopsy, they didn't think to look for that. Yeah, maybe. And by the time they did another autopsy, right? I think they retested the first autopsy. I don't think they actually performed anything further on the body. Oh, well then, yeah, maybe if, if they're not looking for that. Yeah. You know, maybe they, I mean, obviously, I don't know how it works. Yeah. But, but yeah, why would they? Maybe that's not something that you would normally, you know, do on a normal autopsy. I don't see why. It, I mean, well, maybe, because don't they take out the brain? I think so. I think but maybe the like swelling a... wasn't so obvious. Or maybe there's normally swelling on the brain after car accidents. So, like, they, it didn't yeah. seem... Yeah, maybe they did see it, but they just assumed it was from the car accident. Crazy. I don't know. That's weird. It is. It's very strange. And like I said, this is the third time I've watched it. I don't know why. It just really <laughs> intrigues me. I, it's, it's... I hate stuff like that, though. I hate... Yeah. I have this love-hate relationship with unknown. Unsolved things. Unsolved, unknown. Uh, yeah. Same. You know, <laughs> what the fuck happened? I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate those stories that you're never going to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, we won't know. The only survivor was six at the time. He didn't know what the fuck he was going on. Yeah, he poor guy i know all right and did well, the kids not have their seatbelts on well that's what i was thinking because when they left the campgrounds that the owner said that she saw them strapped in their car seats but one if they had stopped a bunch of times they were scared at one point they were calling their parents they yeah. were scared and the oldest was eight i think so if if diane is up there doing who knows what and they're scared they're going to take their seatbelts off they don't know you know any better and there's nothing they can do about it yeah so yeah i'm pretty sure all of them except the little boy probably had unbuckled yeah and like we're trying to to survive somehow that's just so sad it is sad I feel sorry for all of them, including that Diane. Oh, yeah. I do, too. Something happened that was not normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Send us your stories. We need them. Ghoulsnightoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any documentaries that you don't want to take the time to watch, I will watch them and tell you all about it. You can give us suggestions. uh, Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And we will talk to you next week. Later. Bye.